2: Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education.
0: Happy Horns and Hump Day, Pagans Tonight Radio listeners. You are listening to Great Right Radio, and we are so glad that you made us part of your Wednesday, part of your week. We're always glad to be here. You are listening to All Acts of Love and Pleasure, the show where we talk about sex, sexuality, gender, social justice issues, and more, all from a pagan perspective. We are so glad that you've joined us tonight for the show. You can be part of the show by calling in in the U.S. at code. Three four seven three zero eight eight two two two. Hanging out in the chat room or dropping us an email at love eleven pleasure at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter at love and pleasure that's love l u v and pleasure, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook dot com slash all acts love. As always, I am Dr. Susan.
1: And I'm Michael Graywell.
0: And it feels like a million years since we've been here, but it's only been a couple of weeks. It's just, I feel like I've lived a entire lifetime for some reason. November has gone really fast. So how has your week been?
2: Oh my gosh.
1: It's been tiring. So my job, so with my job, I have to review my time card every week and sign off on it. And this last week I reviewed my time card and I put in over twenty hours of overtime.
2: Whoa, whoa!
1: So, <laughs> I was a little exhausted. Like um, this today was yeah. my first day off. Yeah, today was my first day off since I don't know two weeks ago. <laughs> and I sort like I woke up at my normal time at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and was like. You know what? Screw this. And went back to sleep and slept till eleven.
0: <laughs> well, I don't blame you. Oh my gosh, that is that is a lot.
1: Well, there there were a few things going on last week, like um, the all the managers for my company were in Memphis for I don't know how often they do this. It this is the second time that they've had one of these meetings. Maybe it's quarterly or something like that, or maybe it's, you know, every six months. I'm not sure, but yeah. So my boss and every other boss was in Memphis. And so we had to, you know, pick up the extra hours that he would have been there and whatnot. And uh, my brother, my youngest brother used to work for the same company. I He had, he was a manager at one of the stores in the area and He moved to Missouri last week. And so the new manager at his location was, like, desperate for help because when he left, most of his employees left too. Oh. So I picked up one of the shifts that they were needing covered, which was my only day off last week. And so, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. It it was a little Hi. rough. It was a
0: little rough. Um, but I made it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I knew that your brother was going to be moving, but I didn't realize that that was coming down the path, coming down the pike so fast.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been planning it. He had been planning it for a while, and he'd already, you know, told the family and whatnot. So I didn't exactly know when he was mm-hmm. moving. I knew it was, you know, going to be before Thanksgiving, uh, but apparently it was the day after my mother's birthday. So, yeah. Wow! Like, Happy birthday, mom, and you know, last dinner with Chris before he moved. So
0: that's that's wild. Oh my goodness. Okay, so yeah, that's it's been an eventful few days. <laughs> yeah.
1: I and mean, what about okay. you, Doctor Susan?
0: Well, um, I've been busy But not the same kind of busy Uh, My contract job that I was on Ended on the 16th And I was uh, sad to See that end Because that job was a lot of fun But uh, it worked out nicely Because I had all of this week off To kind of chill out and, And just take care of some things That had gotten pushed to the back burner And I'm leaving for Belgium on Saturday So I am in the throes of getting ready for that, and I am very grateful that I do not have to get off of an international flight and then try to go back to work the next day, so I will be there, um, leaving Dallas on Saturday afternoon, and I get to Europe sometime on Sunday morning. I hang out in the Madrid airport for three hours, and then I go to Brussels, and then I take a train or a series of buses uh, about another hour to Ghent, and I'll be there from sunday through wednesday morning and then i fly back through london to dallas so i'll be turning around and you know it'll be a pretty quick trip but i'm excited to go over there and present my research um i think that's going to be really well received i'm in the middle of finishing the presentation that'll be what i'll be doing this evening after i get off the radio uh, <laughs> other than that i had a, a successful class at hearth wisdom i've got another one coming up on the 15th of december um we will be talking about that at the end of the show. I'm getting my retreat planned uh, for January. There'll be a link on our Facebook page. There's still eight spots left for anybody mm-hmm. who wants to come up. And there are, I think, seven or eight day spots left, too, for people who want to come up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing for both my own work and for... A contract client So um, I tried to do National Novel Writing Month But I got derailed on paid projects So I probably have Written about 30,000 words this month But just not that many of them on my book <sighs> um, mm-hmm. Just Oh and I Vend I, uh, it at Steamboat November Which was super fun Very muddy but super fun I saw fun. those, pictures. It, that I saw those pictures That was black That was so I much ha- fun
1: I have to say, I loved the clip-in hair. It looked fabulous.
0: I love the clip-in hair. I love my short hair. Uh, Those of you out there who've never seen a picture of me, I have very, very short, decky hair. But I did a long clip-in Victorian ponytail, and I felt like a whole new person. So that was a whole new world. It was super fun. Um, And there's a large (laughs) overlap in in the steampunk community with pagans, as one might expect. So I, I did very well.
1: Yes, I I have to say when I saw that picture, I was like, "How long has it been since I've seen Susan?" (laughs) I I, I was like, "No, that can't be real." And then when I I saw you, you said, "Oh, okay, it it is a clip-in." I was like, "Okay, (laughs)
2: awesome. It hasn't been that long."
1: (laughs) Oh, but you're 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 very you're very right with the whole. steampunk and paganism are very, you know, intertwined. Did I ever tell you that I purchased that, um, oh my God, it, I can, now I can't remember the name of it. I had purchased it for a friend years ago. It was, um, like steampunk magic type stuff. Yeah. Uh, like a, I
2: to that.
1: Yeah. and I, can, I cannot remember the name of it, but I remember reading parts of it. I was like, okay, this is interesting, but you know, it's just like any other, uh, Book out there that you know we've reviewed and whatnot has basics. It has you know kind of mythology and you know what they believe and you know practices and whatnot. And I was like, I could see doing this, but I don't have the time to make all the costumes.
0: (laughs) Right, that was really the thing I I appreciated. Was it's not really my aesthetic, but I have a lot of friends where it's their thing, and uh, Mm -hmm. I really appreciated the creativity of it all. You know, the things that people make and that they create, and I, I really liked that it had, um, my friend and I were talking, because she's a costumer, that it's kind of at Ren Faire, there are, like, a handful of basically uniforms that you see people in, but there's mm-hmm. no whole bar for costuming in c and that was that was super cool, Um I'm really. I'm going to totally do it next year. The site is only 30 minutes from my apartment. It's down in uh, it Ellis, not Ellis County. Um, it's down in Mansfield, Venus, uh, and they're building mm-hmm. a really, really nice facility out there. So, which is also open oh. for retreats, and writers retreats, and things. Um, their Mead Hall is gorgeous. So, that will uh, hopefully be. They're building basically an artist space out there. Um, and hopefully mm-hmm. that'll be open for some other things. Um, super, super fun. But it meant that I haven't really had a weekend off in a minute. Cause you know, I, I did reclaiming mm-hmm. camp and then I had part of a weekend off and then I did Steampunk November and then last weekend kind of happened and I was recovering from my job ending and getting my stuff ready so my friends can work my booth at a fair on Sunday while I'm in Brussels, and now I'm getting ready to to cook a big dinner tomorrow, and then <laughs> to travel. So it has been a has been a bit of an adventure. It has been all very good. Um, the astrology mm. is definitely on the side of us Sagittarius right now, but it's uh, it's it's been an adventure. I, I'm really mm. curious to see what the last remaining month and a few days of 2018 has to hold, as, as wild as that is to say.
1: Yeah. I feel like, just,
0: um, like Tom's just here <laughs> telling us about January. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. Uh, but, you know, speaking of dinners, you know, what are what are your plans for tomorrow, Dr. Susan?
0: Well, this is a nice lead-in to our topic for tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's, we're having... Our, our plans have sort of changed a couple of times. that We usually have dinner at lunch with Stephanie's parents my partner's parents Um, and this year they were wanting to maybe do something a little bit more low key because my my father-in-law has been having some health problems Um, and so we plan to just cook a very small meal here for ourselves tomorrow afternoon and then parents were like oh no come over for dinner so we're going to cook lunch here and then take some of like some turkey and things that we've cooked over her, her parents later in the evening, um, so that we can still have a family dinner, but there's not all this cooking and drama, um, going on in the house. So I've got uh turkey and mashed potatoes and kind of the standard stuff that we make in my family and some things that we, that Stephanie's family has every year, um, and as always, we are having discussions about Thanksgiving and colonization, which is, if, if you haven't read the description of the article, dear listeners, of the episode, dear listeners, that's what we'll be talking about tonight. So, what are your plans for tomorrow?
1: Well, tomorrow I am, well, not just me, my, my family is going to my aunt's for Thanksgiving. Um, last year was, I think, the I'm trying to think now. I think maybe, okay. After I moved to Illinois, my family started moving the, who gets to host the holidays around a little bit. And it was basically Mm -hmm. who had the most space. And while I was out of of Texas, it was at my aunt's for the longest time. And it's still there because my aunt, you know, she has the most space at the moment. So, I'm losing my train of thought. (laughs) So tomorrow, my family will be gathering at my aunt's, and there's going to be quite a spread. Um, Lots of different dishes. I made my mac and cheese um, from scratch today, like right before the show, and I have eggs that I hard-oiled that I will make into deviled eggs in the morning.
2: (sighs) That sounds
1: delicious. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, my mother is cooking her turkey. She, I I made the cornbread for her stuffing earlier, and my aunt's making a couple of hams and salad. Hopefully, salad without you know the eco um romaine. Um, and. <laughs> There's going to be so many desserts and whatnot. And I'm actually a new friend of mine who I've been getting to know over the last, gosh, has it been a couple of months already? Maybe. Um, great person. Uh, they and their partner are going to join uh, join my family because they just moved from, um, I'm blanking on the name of the state. Oregon, Portland. (laughs) I was like, where is it? It's over there in, you know, clouds and trees and whatnot. (laughs) But, yeah, they just moved from Portland not too long ago and don't really know a lot of people. So I was like, well, you can always, you know, join us. You know, my family is always open to having guests and whatnot. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow
0: lovely and I know as as we were sort of planning this episode we were thinking about the, the fact that um, you know this is a, a holiday that a lot of people really enjoy a lot of people you know actually have off work which is hard to come by for a lot of folks especially in the service service economy and you know we associate it with food and family and all this all these wonderful things that a lot of people really enjoy um, and there's this whole other but a question about Thanksgiving and the way in which it's sold to us as school children in the U S and the image that's put forward and how we kind of work that out. So uh, if you're listening outside of the U S and, and um, you're just tuning in tomorrow is Thanksgiving in the U S Canada had theirs in October. And there's been, I know my timeline on Facebook has been really robust with discussions about how to approach the holiday and it's sort of problematic narrative story, the, the one about the friendly meal between indigenous people and the pilgrims and how that's not really what happened. Uh, and because my timeline has been robust with that discussion and I have, I am trigger happy with the share button. It means everybody else's timeline has been too. Uh, there's this great discussion that's, that's happening around the, necessi- the necessity of teaching and learning the actual story of colonization and genocide and other forms of violence against indigenous people rather than focusing on the kind of feel-good story, right? And for a lot of indigenous folks in the U.S., this day is actually known as thanks grieving or thanks taking, marking the genocide of people and culture that came along with colonization. Um, and, well, I think we've come a long way. Like I still see every year stories of, You know, teachers having their children pick Native American names for Thanksgiving and, like, with the headdresses, with the construction paper feathers Mm -hmm. and all of that, right? Um, And there are people who don't really think there's anything wrong with that um, for a whole lot of reasons, but for people who care about the rights and dignity of indigenous people and about justice for them or if you are Indigenous for yourself, uh, we wrestle with how to navigate this holiday. Like, do we opt out entirely? Do we focus on educating people on the true story? <laughs> do, you, do you stand up and talk about rape and genocide, like in between dinner and dessert? How does that happen? Uh, or do we find a way to celebrate the holiday that's, that's, that's more focused on gratitude while also divesting other Thanksgiving trappings? And and i, I seen that discussion happening, that discussion has been happening for a long time, but I'm seeing it happen among a much wider group of people this year, mm-hmm. and a lot more of this, yeah, on, on like teachers asking for resources. So have you seen a lot of that on your timeline, too?
1: I'm going to say no, only because I have very few teacher friends. You might be one of my That's biggest it. teacher friends, Dr. Susan. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I do have friends who have children and whatnot. And I have, you know, had one really good friend who posted about, you know, she was making a um, Native American vest out of a paper bag for her son's class. Yikes! And, Yikes! Yeah. And in... And it, I I just, you know, and I can't form words, apparently, tonight. My friend is a very, you know, conscious person, and is also a person of color. But, you know, that Mm -hmm. doesn't, um, you know, negate the fact that, you know, it's not something we should be doing. (laughs) But, um
2: I, I had to it teaching, it,
0: go, go, go ahead
1: well i I was gonna say it it made me think you know so often like I remember I think I've had arguments in the past with people where they're like, you know they're kids, you know they don't know any better, but this is when you should be teaching them that this is wrong when they're kids
0: <laughs> right right i I know I have been reflecting a lot a lot about sort of my upbringing and we definitely were were fed this story when I was growing up and going to school and you know I was going to school with a lot of indigenous children I had never thought um, at at the time about how that must have made my classmates feel and you know I have complicated white lady feelings about having realized I was growing up in the middle of an ongoing genocide, but that, that's, that's another episode. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it is even for socially conscious people, uh, there's a real, um, I think, lack of understanding about racism directed at indigenous people. And there's, there's an article I'll share. I didn't post it um, in our, our scheduled post, but I'll get it up there about how, the most prevalent form of racism that indigenous people in the U.S. face is actually invisibility. That people yeah. don't think that there are indigenous people anymore. Uh, I think, which is, is why, in some ways, people feel very free to appropriate because they think they're not hurting anybody. Uh, and uh, you
1: know, um, you,
0: you, no, go ahead. And you see the same thing in discussions about uh, appropriation of native spirituality within pagan mm. sects. Um, People either don't think there's anybody left for it to hurt, or they think that it's sort of a compliment, (laughs) Uh, both of which are are horribly problematic stances. Um, But I think people are much less likely to recognize racism directed at indigenous people, especially if they have not lived around uh, and known that they lived around large numbers of indigenous people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And earlier, I was going to say, I very much agree that, you know, the whole um, invisibility thing is very accurate because I see a lot of people who my age and younger who are like, wait, there are still Native American people around. I mean, you see, you know, you should never read the comments of anything online <laughs> just you know, for your own mental health and whatnot. But I have read comments, but I have, you know, looked and seen the comments where they like, what, there's still Native Americans around? I mean, there's still Indians around? And people are like, yeah, these people still live. They still exist.
0: Right. Ongoing colonization. I've been following the, the story of um, a, ho- a homeless encampment. That's the term that the journalists are using in Minneapolis that is predominantly Native. Uh, predominantly indigenous people, and you know, this is happening in one of the biggest cities in the country. And they're, I mean, think about the winners in Minnesota, these are folks that are living in tents. Um, so you, you have indigenous people in the U.S., uh, disproportionately live in poverty, they, they have lower life expectancies. Um, and there's that's all part of the ongoing ills of colonization, missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, we're starting, and we're starting to see some really important uh, discussions finally making their way into mainstream media. I think, with the election of um, Indigenous women to Congress for the first time, uh, we talked about last week, and with the uh, growing visibility of the movements around missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Um, but I know I had a discussion with somebody the other day that they had no idea that there was this epidemic. Of missing and murdered Indigenous women. They had no clue, and I'm like, this has been all over the news for 10 years. How did you know? How did you not know? And it, it, it gives me um, it gives me pause to think about the bubble that I live in because I do have a lot of Indigenous people in my life
2: who mm-hmm.
0: volunteer their labor to make sure that white folks like me aren't ignorant about this stuff, and um, I'm very grateful to them. Very very grateful. Um, to the indigenous people in my life who have sat my ass down <laughs> and explained things to me and, and they make sure that I know these things, but it's it's definitely a place where I think even people that are, you know, yeah, they're, you know, black lives matter. And, you know, yes, we need to be looking at voter suppression and, and, you know, taking down Confederate monuments. And like they think that's what racism looks like in its sum total but they don't necessarily think about colonization, and that's I, I think the discussion that's coming up around Thanksgiving you know, for a lot of white folks is again one of those places where they they want to push back and say, but this is my tradition. And it's about family, and who is this really hurting? Right. The idea that they mm-hmm. might have been enacting, or we might have been enacting, uh, this racist narrative for you know our whole lives in something that is. So indelible in American culture is tough, um, and I've been, you know, thinking about it a lot. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: How we want to sort of uh, address that in my household. So, oh, I see. There's somebody in the chat room. The chat room isn't coming up for me. Michael, did you say somebody was in the chat room and had a astute comment?
1: No, no, I, no, no, no. i have a comment. I just don't want to interrupt you.
0: Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Hang on, let me get the salt in the
1: bell. All right. <laughs> what what's on your mind? Well, no, I was just gonna say as you know, someone who I don't know, is my age We considered millennial? I think it is. <laughs> but uh, you know, as someone who grew up in, you know, the late eighties, early nineties and now an adult and you know contributing members to society and whatnot. I have to say, whenever I think about Thanksgiving, I never think about the narrative that they taught us in school. It has definitely become, you know, oh, it's time to gather with the family and whatnot. And I never think about the pilgrims. I never think about the fake story of, you know, the, First uh, Thanksgiving, where they really shared a meal. Um, it's never in my head anymore, and so I can I can definitely see, and I feel like that's a common thread among most people in my age mm-hmm. group, you know, older, younger, give or take. It's just it's always been done, and they never really think about the story we were taught when we were younger, and
0: I think that's a great point.
1: It's and to want to challenge it, you know, makes them just recoil. Like, what are you talking about? That what no, no, what?
0: Uh, no. I I think that's a really, really great point and it's it definitely I know when I started having um, friends say that they didn't celebrate, uh and that they were, you know pushing back against it as a colonial holiday, I was like, well, you know, we don't do that in our household. We don't, you know, put out the pilgrim the candle holders and like, I know that's crap. Like I, you know, I, I've researched, I know the story, but then it was like, Oh, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe I individually have, have this myself from problematic aspects of the holiday, but the way the holiday is marketed is still really in that way. And, and to kind of, like negotiate that was, was complicated. I'm still working through my feelings about it, but Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. A lot of, a lot of folks, um, we don't think about that narrative because we know that that's, that's not what happened. Even if we haven't gone deeply into the actual history of it, um, which if you would Mm -hmm. like to, I recommend Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's *An indigenous people's history of the United States. Um, you know we we know that that's a false narrative, and so you know we don't incorporate those trappings into our individual celebrations, and in fact, most of the things that we think of as traditional Thanksgiving food would not have even been on the table at Plymouth at any point um, so it's you know how this this holiday that really when I mean, it really becomes a thing during the Civil War when Lincoln declares a national day of Thanksgiving, and then it really really becomes a thing when FDR declares it a yearly thing. Uh, so this well, this holiday that's wrapped up in much more modern kind of mainstream you know, white American customs and which people really individualize it gets placed in this weird historical narrative um, but for a lot of people that's not what it's about at. There's this article I used to teach in my American culture class that showed that for new immigrants to the United States, the first holiday or celebration that almost all of them adopt is Thanksgiving. And there's, if you go, this journalist went and had dinner with, with people that were uh, immigrants from around the world. And uh, the way in which people put their own spin on traditional. American Thanksgiving food. Like he went to a, a family from Bangladesh that they had Turkey curry and you know, people from, uh, the Texas Mexico border, you know, have Turkey and mole. And so it's this mm-hmm. quintessential American thing, but it's always, um, tied up with, it's still with this problematic, uh, narrative. And in November, which you just reminded me is native American heritage month. So it's, uh, Oh, yes, my friend David is telling me no turkey, cholent, cholin, uh, Jewish food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I'm, I'm for it, right? Um, pagans are uh, often another layer to it, there's a couple other layers, because harvest festivals are a thing for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Gratitude practices a thing for many of us. Um, but a lot of us are also deeply involved with indigenous rights movements. Um, some of us, because we are indigenous people, I am not an indigenous person, but I know indigenous people within the pagan community or people, white, white folks or folks of other races um, who are not indigenous, but who are involved with indigenous right movements. And then there's the complicated question of cultural appropriation for indigenous, spirit, of indigenous spirituality, and particularly for white pagans, um, but not exclusively for white pagans, how we address and, and dismantle that. So there's this sort of question um, about how we handle that. So tonight we have some ideas that we'll present for Decolonizing Thanksgiving and Reclaiming the Harvest Festival. Um, and one of the things that we also want to do tonight in support of indigenous communities is we've got some tracks from the Green Album, which uh, the proceeds from the Green Album go to preservation of rainforest. Um, so those are important ecosystems around the world that when green forests, when rainforests are destroyed, it is indigenous people who suffer the most. And if you're looking at what's going on in Brazil with the new fascist president they just elected, um, he wants to increase development in the rainforest and uh, has basically said he doesn't have a problem with exterminating indigenous people. So it you know, if you're sort of new to this discussion about, the problematics of Thanksgiving because history of violence against indigenous people. And you think, well, that was 400 years ago. This is still going on. And we have a responsibility towards that. Um, so we have some wonderful pagan artists who've gotten together and created an album. And I'm going to give you a little uh, ginger, ginger dot dial is from that album.
2: It is your gift.
0: That was the lovely Ginger Doss, Gaia Lives, from the Green Album, which uh, is Saving the Rainforest, one song at a time. We're featuring some tracks from that album tonight, because when rainforests are destroyed, it is indigenous people who disproportionately suffer. And we're talking about decolonizing Thanksgiving tonight, uh, working through the sort of complicated settler narrative that – the fake settler narrative (laughs) that we get about about, about Thanksgiving and – thinking instead about how to address the racism and colonialism behind that narrative. And if we want to continue to celebrate the fourth Thursday in November as a a feast of gratitude, how do we do that and divest it of that that narrative? Um, There's a bunch of stuff that I've shared out to our Facebook page tonight. One of the really great pieces that I, I think is approachable for people when you want to deconstruct this narrative is the, a piece from uh, National Geographic gives you a few things you probably don't know about Thanksgiving. Um, we were talking about this in the green room that when we look at sort of what they were doing at this time, we think about, I mean, Thanksgiving is a time where you just you eat until you have to like pop the button off your pants, right? But for the folks at, the white folks at Plymouth, who were celebrating the fact that they had a harvest that came in and that there's some actual food um, for a change. Cause they did have a really hard time when they got here. Um, they would have actually been engaging in prayerful fasting, not stuffing themselves with food. Uh, even at a yeah. time when food was relatively abundant they were looking at eleven to get to the wind the the winter, so the idea that it was this massive feast, the way Americans think about a feast now is a complete anachronism mm-hmm.
1: and can kind of like a condensed version of one of the articles that Dr. Susan shared, you know the w- the narrative that we are taught in school is. That the Native Americans who were there, who were at Plymouth, you know, they welcomed the Indians. They sorry, they welcomed the white settlers and took pity on them and whatnot, and showed them how to, you know, grow crops and whatnot. And the feast was a celebration of that. When really, the so the celebrate quote unquote, uh, celebration was celebrating a a massacre of 700 natives of a neighboring area, some hunters went and cleansed the area of all the natives there. And to celebrate upon their return, you know, they were shooting guns, firing cannons. And the people who were native to the Plymouth area, people who were prepared to fight because they heard all this noise, they were like, okay, are they getting ready to attack us? Sent, these people, sent out these people who were to investigate a fact-finding mission, basically. Are we about to be killed? Get there and say, oh, no, these people are celebrating something. And they were, inv- I don't know, They food was shared with them, and they stayed to eat just to make sure that they were not going to be attacked.
0: <laughs> yes, and that's a very different story, right? They, yeah. you know, it's not this idea of we, the image that we get of like, oh, we'll come and we'll, the celebration of goodwill, this was a, you know, there was active hostility um, which I would be pretty hostile if people invaded my place of, uh, where I was living and, and raided my storehouses and the graves of my dead for the corn so they didn't starve to death. Um, you know, there, there's very good reason for indigenous people to be hostile towards the, the English when they got here and then of course there's the hostility of these English folks who think that they're entitled to this whole continent so yeah it's not the wonderful sort of celebration of friendship that people like to make this out to be uh, and I think it's worth noticing, n- noting as well that uh, this week the very people who the Native people who were there uh, were Officially, unde-recognized um, by the by the federal government, uh, they they lost a bunch of their land. Um, so you know, happy Thanksgiving, right? Uh, so the colonization of even those particular peoples um, continues and goes on. Um, I think the, the this piece was it, it's just you know four four or five things that you didn't know about Thanksgiving, but it's so worth looking at because it takes the whole narrative and puts it on its head, and I know that there are probably still people who don't think there's anything wrong with colonization and, and what happened to the indigenous people in this country, but to, um, be able to, to look at it so clearly, I think is really, really worthwhile. Um, cause uh, as we were saying before the break, invisibility is the most prominent form of racism that is directed at, at native people. And, um, uh, there's an article that I shared um, about the way in which Native voices, our Indigenous voices, um, and images of Indigenous activism we're finally sort of getting a hearing in the the wider media as we approach the 400th mm-hmm. anniversary of the land in the Plymouth.
1: Yes. And, you know, I I think I put this in maybe one of the descriptions for when I was doing the show. But it feels like for the first time in years, people are finally listening. And like you just said, you know, first time in – I'm losing my train of thought. But Native voices, Native art is finally being seen, finally being heard. And I feel like you can trace back to just – oh, my gosh, was it just a couple years ago? Um, When Standing Rock was happening – I feel like that was a very pivotal moment in people being like, "Oh, oh, this is, oh, this is going on. This is still going on.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: maybe I should be paying attention to this." I, first I think that's a first time. Yeah,
0: go ahead.
1: No, oh, no. I was just say I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. So, and since then, we've seen, you know, native Native people, you know. Constantly, like, putting themselves on the line to stop, uh, like, I can't think of the words I'm wanting to say, and it's frustrating me. (laughs) The pipelines being installed, Mm -hmm. uh, you you hear – well, I hear about it in um, Mississippi and Louisiana Mm
2: -hmm.
1: just because, you know, algorithms, because I – I paid so much attention to Standing Rock. I am now getting all this stuff coming through my feed and whatnot. Yeah. And now we have the first uh, Native women in Congress this year.
0: Yes. And I I think the discussion around the North Dakota voter ID law and how that was clearly targeted at disenfranchising Native people, which um, probably cost Heidi Heitkamp her seat, in Senate, um, I think that brought a lot of people's attention to, to especially reservation life and the challenges of reservation life, which of course the majority of indigenous people in the U S do not live on reservations. um, But that's a particular kind of invisibility. And and I know when, when Standing Rock uh, happened, you know, I follow a lot of very small reservation papers on Facebook, mostly for the nature pictures because I miss my prairies. Right. And so mm-hmm. they were the ones who started dripping out stuff on standing rock. And I started sharing it out and the number of folks in my, you know, sort of timeline, I have a pretty socially conscious group of friends uh, who said, I would have known nothing about this if it hadn't been for you, if it hadn't been for the Lakota times or the, Um, the the Oglala County register or whatever it was um, people just they they had no idea if you're not living in the region and and then even then you can be very far away Um, and I I, but I I feel like you know there's this social media is great for this and I, I absolutely think you're right that Standing Rock and what's happening at the opposite end of the pipeline same pipeline um, in Louisiana, at the uh, the OSV uh, water, I, I butchered that because I don't speak French. Um, the water is life camp where water protectors are, are being arrested and brutalized the same way. Um, I think that's brought a lot of this into light, and I think a lot of the discussions about um, cultural appropriation is bringing this. So, you know, this is a. I mean, there there are books and great discussions and so much happening, but. You know, again, as always with these discussions, well, okay, we've talked about everything that's wrong. Um, what can we do? So for some people, their decision is to, we just won't celebrate it. We just will not even have this holiday in our family. And that's a way to do it. Uh, but there are some mm-hmm. other interesting ways to, to reform the holiday. Um, so I thought the stuff that uh, Tommy Orange wrote about and the, the sous chefs, wrote about sort of reclaiming Thanksgiving was interesting about reframing it Um, as for for many native people, they they choose to frame it as a celebration of survival against the odds. I've I've read a lot about that. Um, What do you think we could, we can do to reform it?
1: Oh, I think kind of like with uh, how most, not well, a good amount of cities have started to not celebrate Columbus Day and have mm-hmm. instead been celebrating uh, Indigenous Peoples Day or something similar. Yes. Yeah.
0: I am very proud that my home state was the first state to do that. We declared Columbus Day as Native American Day back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that, you're, that the key point that it's not just about Thanksgiving, it's about changing the way we talk about settler colonialism, and about indigenous people in the U.S. So, yeah, absolutely, I think that's a really good step.
1: I think we could – I'm looking at it from my own family's point of view. If we took the holiday and made it more about, again, focusing on the ch- the challenges and maybe – and even the – Maybe more importantly, the successes of native people currently, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm losing. I, I'm not sure how I'm wanting to form this, but do you get kind of what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. I I think that you, know, if I, if I'm understanding you right, it's like instead of you know, sort of having this narrative about these you know native folks from so long ago, um, it, if we want to sort of rehabilitate or rehabilitate, but run or make a new story. So it's talking about what native folks are doing now. um, I'm really fascinated with actually the, the boom in um, indigenous cooking in the U S. So I I think that'd be a really neat way to sort of reclaim the holiday Mm -hmm. is to to think about the origins of food, which is, there's an article from the sea chef that, I posted that he talks about most of the traditional native, most of the traditional Thanksgiving food are in fact, indigenous food um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that you're having an indigenous meal. And just to think about that uh, instead of this like weird noble savage narrative. Uh, did I get it? What, what you're trying to get at or did I, did it go completely over yeah. my head? No, I, I think you got
1: <laughs> basically what I was saying and also just scrapping the narrative that we teach in schools especially the young, yeah. to the young kids, yeah. you know, stop, t- stop telling them that, Oh, you know, it's about friendship and, you know, the, the the natives and the the white people were friends when they first met. No, scrap that shit. That's false. Stop teaching it.
0: Right. And, and there's some great resources that I have posted from tolerance.org on how to teach it differently. Um, Because you know there is a question of like okay if you're teaching kindergarten and you don't want to teach the narrative like okay that's a little young to introduce you have to get a waiver from the kids to talk about genocide right Um, but because we do need people to learn the real story but there's also the, the question of how you do it age appropriate so for parents or or educators those are great resources that we change the way we talk about it I know the way we talk about it in my household. Is that we treat it? It's a harvest festival. It's a harvest feast, and we happen to do it on Thanksgiving Thursday because that is a day that most people have off work. It's sort of convenient for the in the culture, Um, and we choose to think about it as a day of like what we're literally what we're grateful for. What are we giving thanks for? Uh, And to to reclaim. In that way, because, I mean, a harvest festival is an awfully pagan thing to do, right? Um, But to also take a moment to, you know, also recognize that we are still living on stolen land and that we are still living in the midst of all the social ills that came with colonization. And I think, you know, being able to have these conversations with people, I think, is where we sort of go with it um, that, that where I, five years ago, I couldn't imagine that this would be a conversation with people would be having. Um, and that is uh, one of the articles that I posted, uh, that'll show up on our Facebook page if it hasn't yet has a whole list of ways to appreciate and not appropriate from native people. And a lot of these things are, are so simple. You share native voices. We've, we've tried to boost articles. Um, Don't you find out your kids are going to be dressed up as Indians and pilgrims? Put a stop to that. You know, that's something, and yes, it's it's, maybe it's difficult to be the loud parent, but it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, really learn how to speak out regularly against the the oppression of Native people. I think we're lucky we have a really great platform here, um, but it is the Job of always the job of white folks to undo racism because we're the ones that created it. Um, and folks that aren't white folks can definitely speak out against the oppression of natives and other groups, uh, but it's really incumbent of, among white people to to do that. Um, yeah, you know, just don't don't call things your spirit animal, please. Just don't. It's not that hard to not be an ass um, when you're at dinner at, on Thursday and your racist uncle or aunt or cousin or whatever use an anti-native slur stand up against it we um, want to start to push back not just at Thanksgiving but all around the year because like Michael was saying it, you know there's changes it's not just to this day not just where we talk about this day but to the whole way we talk about Native folks in this culture, and it, I think it's really important that we do that. I think for pagans, it's really important to do that too. We're earth worshipping people. We're supposed to be interested in justice and all that. Um, I think we can put our money where our mouth is. So, uh, oh, I'm scrolling through Michael's timeline. T- tell me about this story that you posted about.
1: So it goes. So it goes a little bit with what you were just saying about, you know, setting up and, you know, being the person who makes a difference. It, now see, I thought, okay, this is an awesome story. Could be fake, but I think it's also a really good example of, you know, hopefully it's not fake. But it's basically a dad went to go pick up his daughter. He was tired Work. I should specify. He was a African American man who went to go pick up his kid from school, and he forgot he had his work pocket knife in his pocket, and the security guard on staff was getting very belligerent with him, and you know the guy said, "Okay, I will. You know, be sure to leave it in my car next time. I would just like to get my kid and go." And there is a, I'm guessing, white woman sitting, and she's witnessing all of this. And the cop gets all puffed up, and he's like, Are you, basically trying to say, "Are you threatening me? Are you, you know, being belligerent?" And he turns to the woman and says, "You'll you'll, you'll vouch for me, right?" And she goes, "No, he's just trying to get his kid, and you're making a scene. You're the one who's escalating this heat, just." He's not doing anything. And if someone asks me, I'm going to side with him, not with you. Yes. So yes. that very much goes with what you were saying about you know, standing up and being the person who be like, um, no, just because we're both white or we're both, you're in the wrong. This person is right. So no.
0: And I I think especially at the holidays people are so afraid of making people uncomfortable, but make people uncomfortable. You know, I mean, don't be complicit. I know that it's hard. Families are complicated, but you know, to to be able to stand up and use that privilege, I'm going to share out, this just came across my feed. Um, There was a, a tweet that went viral from an educator um, where she asked her teachers to repeat after me: I will not have my students make quote Indian unquote feathers clothes. I will not culturally appropriate an entire people for quote unquote cute activities. I will tell my students the truth about this country's relationship with indigenous people. And her hashtag is Pinterest, not pedagogy. So if you want to uh, follow that, that's, that that conversation has taken off, and it is great uh, to see sort of how people are opening up a discussion and about how we do it different. And and I feel like the last two years, especially have really caused a lot of people to start to look more deeply about who we are as a country and to not be able to look away from our racist and colonialist roots and legacy. And especially for white folks, that's been really hard, Um, but it should be hard. And we should be trying, we should be trying to do this and undo this every day. And, you know, while well, this discussion about our relationship as a, as a white settler, colonial nation with indigenous people has to go year-round, um, this, this robust discussion that's happening right now around Thanksgiving, I think that's an entry point for a lot of people that they can, can understand. Um, so if you have ideas about how to reclaim um, thank, Thanksgiving or harvest festivals, then absolutely share those with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash all acts um, You know, we are looking at, at so much happening in the country. If you're somebody who's not really tapped in to what's happening with indigenous people in the U S uh, you can follow me on Facebook. Um, I post a lot and I will post some links on our Facebook page for uh, good news sources that, you know, we're starting to get some great coverage in the mainstream news, but there's also incredible value in actually listening to indigenous voices talk about indigenous issues. Um, always listen to the voices of the grouping questions. I will, um, um, and I love you know I love that this is something that that we're talking about. Um, it's so important, and I want to. We're going to leave you with some with a track on the green album, but I also wanted to share with you um, a friend of mine, my friend Elena Cobb, who is a wonderful uh, radical pastor, wrote a beautiful lament for Thanksgiving. and, and I with her permission, uh, I am sharing it and uh, they'll post the, uh, the text is posted on our Facebook page. So if you're one of those people that wants to make things uncomfortable, you can offer to give, the before meal Thanksgiving prayer. <laughs> this is the Thanksgiving lament by Elena Cobb. O oh, great Spirit who measures the weight of our souls, turn your face from us, we who profit from death. We come before you on stolen land, land that cries for justice, land of another people. Fill us with the grief we bestowed on others. We recognize this time of mourning for the people driven out and slaughtered for the mothers and fathers, elders and children, innocent and betrayed. We cry out with one voice in recognition of justice still left undone, mercy that never came. Lest we ignore the bitter genocide of our founding, the sin of our nation's birth. As we gather to give thanksgiving for abundance, we remember how it was bought on the backs of slaves with broken treaties and ethnic cleansing. Forgive us, maker of all, for so rarely lamenting, unrighted wrongs for allowing ourselves to forget. Cleanse us of white supremacy, of hatred of the other, of our suspicion and hard hearts. Give us the strength and conviction to fight the ongoing battles for water, for recognition, for justice. Make us a people of reconciliation, restorers and speakers for the dead. May we reshape the story of this holiday with hard truths and make it a time of repentance and gladness that all nations of this land may sit at the table of abundance. Happy is the heart of those who sit in the presence of peace of those whose neighbor is at peace. Let us come to the table with joy and Thanksgiving. Let us come to a table of peace.
1: That's lovely.
0: It, it's beautiful. I'm going to be saying it over my table tomorrow. Um, and that's a hard act to follow. So I think are gonna play us out with some music. Normally we do our announcements this, this time, but I feel like my office feels like there's kind of a holy silence that I want to, I want to honor. So I well, we're gonna play ourselves out with a little, mm, let's see, maybe a little job to Bard. Why not? See
2: if we can pull it <laughs> up. Uh, yeah. Oh, we'll see. Oh,
0: Berkeley retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> like I told you, holy silence. Uh-oh. Okay, well maybe not. Let's get you out with Mama Gina instead. So the, the uh <laughs> the 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 gremlins are here. It's like no, you have to think about it. <laughs> All right. Actually, we're going to play out a little spiral rhythm, help it grow. We would take that holy silence and grow it into action. Saving the rainforest one song at a time, reclaiming Thanksgiving one dinner table at a time. We will see you in two weeks. In the meantime, tune in next week. Well, yeah, it is next week uh, with Jason on Raise the Horns Radio. Until December, I am Dr. Susan.
1: And I am Michael Graywolf
0: have a blessed evening.
2: to care for her as we roam. help grow, help grow, help, grow. help grow, one people, one planet, one place, we call home, and and care for her as we roam. You're listening to Pagans Tonight, Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight, many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world.